Good morning, Westridge. Good to see you today. It's good to be able to be here with you. Today we're going to continue our ancient wisdom series, highlighting lessons that we can learn by looking at people from the Old Testament. Now, I told you in the past my oldest son is a police officer. He's a sergeant in the city of Urbana and recently became an instructor part-time at PTI, which is a police academy located on the campus of U of I. In his first assignment, he was a role player. But when the professor heard he'd been a cop for over 12 years, they said to him, I'd want you to feel free to stop the class anytime you want to. And what I want you to be able to do is share with them your real-life experiences on the street because they need to learn what it's like out there on the street by what you have learned. And he enjoyed his first couple of classes, able to share things that he had learned with those who wanted to learn. Now, there are always things we can learn from the experiences of others. And, and while I think this is important, I, I think it's important that we approach each day with the mentality of a learner. No matter who we come in contact with, we can learn what to do. We can learn, learn what not to do by observing others. And this is true from the looking at the lives of the people we've been looking at and are going to continue to look at through the Old Testament. Today I've chosen a man who was a king in Judah. He grew up in a family with a father who had once followed God, but at some point in time took a right turn in his relationship with God. We're going to look at him uh, next month. But Jehoshaphat was a man who chose to follow God early in life, and because of his example and his leadership, the people of Israel, the people, the people of Judah, learned to follow God also. It's amazing the influence a person can have by the choices they make. The story we're going to look at today comes from the Old Testament book of Second Chronicles, a book detailing the series of kings that Judah had had. And in this story, Jehoshaphat is faced with a huge army coming against the city of Jerusalem. And when he receives word of the impending invasion, the army coming against him is only 25 miles away, a one-day's march toward Jerusalem. And the way he dealt with this impending disaster reveals something critically important about the foundation he laid in his life, a foundation that builds strength and stability. The message today is entitled, A Foundational Exercise. Now, you know what comes to my mind when I hear a foundational exercise? It's a push-up, right? Now, that's a foundational exercise. Let me demonstrate. So a push-up looks like this. So you guys know what it looks like. Okay, here we go. One, one. Okay. Yeah. What do you think? I think I can do another one? All right, here we go. One more. All right. That's good enough. Much better, much better than first hour when I kicked over the candles. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can learn from experiences, right? So, now, here's the deal. Trainers say that push-ups are just an incredibly foundational exercise. It hits so many different parts of the body. Shoulders, arms, back, chest, core, legs. A push-up can do a lot because it's foundational. Now, what ancient wisdom do we learn from watching King Jehoshaphat in action? Well, when faced with a crisis coming his way, he didn't crumble, he didn't waver. Instead, he chose to practice an exercise that he had already built into his life, an exercise that, that bode very well for him and the future as he put it into practice. He chose to pray, to pray. So what might happen in our lives? if we choose to learn from the experience of the king. So faced with this huge army coming against him, I think we could say that Jehoshaphat was surprised. Um, 
caught him off guard. And I'm sure that all of us can identify with this reality, can't we? There are certain situations in our lives that uh, sneak up on us, that, that catch us by surprise. We say, man, how the, when, when did that happen? How did that happen, right? And if we haven't put time into developing the foundation and building the strength underneath ahead of time, these situations can derail us. Jehoshaphat shows the foundation he built by what he did when this crisis approached. Basically, saw it. He prayed. He prayed. He sought God right out of the gate. He was scared, but in the midst of trouble, he knew what he had to do. He knew what to do because this is what he did. And, and I recognize in Jehoshaphat a natural reaction taking place. This is, what, this is what he did naturally because this is what he did normally. Now, we all have this thing called muscle memory. Okay? I, I can do a push-up because I've done a push-up before, right? It's a muscle memory. Our muscles get used to doing things. If somebody throws something at you, what do you do? You duck, you reach out to catch it, or you say, not in the face. Okay, right? I mean, those are the things we do. Those are the things we do. When it comes time to tie a shoe, how many of us even have to think about doing that anymore, right? You just know what to do. Your muscles know what to do. You don't have to think about it. It's normal and it's natural. For Jehoshaphat, taking his fears to God was natural because he practiced prayer as a follower. This is what he did. The people came to Jerusalem from all over Judah because they knew their king was their leader. And they knew he had to do something to help them. What are we going to do? Well, Jehoshaphat said, here's what we're going to do. He prayed. Several things I noticed about his seeking God as he prayed. First of all, there was that sense of urgency he had. Here's what he said. We will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress. Here's the confidence. You will hear us. You will save us. The word cry out, it talks about sending a distress signal upward to somebody who's going to help you. Uh, think flare gun. I thought about bringing a flare gun, and then I thought a second time about it, right? Okay? Yeah. Uh, secondly, there's a recognition of dependency here. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. See, the king recognized the enemies coming against him were much more than what he could handle. I can't do it, Father. I am not strong enough. Maybe you can understand this. I know I certainly can. I don't know if you've ever felt this way about a situation or struggle that you're having. But sometimes we just feel outmanned and outnumbered. I think one of the most important realizations we can come to as we try to follow Jesus is that we are not independent. We're not able to handle everything on our own. And we're not designed to do that. Remember, prayer is simply talking to God. We can, we can tell God anything. We can bring to him anything. We need to be God-dependent, which means we rely on him, not on what my strength can bring to the table. It's just not that much. Because there are too many things arrayed against us that if we allow them to press in, they will crush us. The third thing I recognized, Jehoshaphat knew he needed direction. Here's what he said. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. I remember going to the Museum of Science and Industry with our boys when they were smaller. Uh, they had set up a people-sized maze on the ground floor of one of the wings. We entered the maze at one end, and we got hopelessly tied up in the middle of it somewhere. And we finally found our way out. 
But it took a long time because we came to a lot of different dead ends. Now, we went up to the next level, the second floor, where you could look down on the maze. And all of a sudden, we could see where the problems were. We had encountered the problems. And we also saw a father up on the second floor directing his children who were down in the maze. Okay? And when he would look down, they'd look up to him, and he'd say, okay, go left. And he said, I still remember, go the other left. Okay? So, I mean, but he directed them, okay, step by step. And they avoided all the, uh, the, the distractions and all the detours they could have taken. They looked up. He showed them out. This is Jehoshaphat. He knew his situation. I'm trapped. I'm not able to defeat this enemy, and I don't know what to do. But he did know what to do. He said, I'm going to look to you, Father, because I know you can help me. Seeking God is where prayer begins. Uh, simply put, talk, God is, talk, prayer is talking to God, and we set aside some time to be together with him. And we look at his example, and we recognize we can be real with God. We can talk to him about anything we're facing. We can tell him any hurt we have, and we can be totally honest with God because he already knows. And we don't have to worry about God turning his back on us or turning away from us, saying, oh, it's you again. That's not the way God operates. He's our Father, and He loves us. And He wants us to come to Him, to bring anything to Him. Not just the urgent things, but anything. And He always welcomes us. I'm learning more about seeking God as I, as I practice prayer. And I, I do enjoy praying. I know prayer helps. It helps me. It helps people around me. I was on a call with our insurance agent on Friday, and uh, we were just talking, and I knew he'd had a, he and his wife had had a baby recently. I just said, so uh, congratulations, he said, thank you. I said, how's everybody doing? He said, well, okay, now you know that's, that's a trigger, right? Okay, well. And I said, so what's going on? He said, well, my, my son was in the hospital with, uh, with uh, John just for a couple days, and it was kind of, uh, kind of challenging. Uh, he's back home now, everything's fine. But he said, my wife, she's had real high blood pressure ever since the delivery. And they just can't get it down. So we were talking a little bit more. And then before we got to my business, I said, hey, can I pray for your wife? He said, please. So we prayed. We prayed. I asked God to help her and uh, to heal her and to bring her blood pressure back down. So we went on, did my business. And before the phone call ended, he said, Lance, thank you. Thank you for praying. Never know how much that helps. I said, well, I said, Kevin, I'll, I'll be honest. I've got one good move. And it's praying. He said, well, that's a pretty good move. Jehoshaphat shows us what prayer does. And he shows us what direction we need to go when we face challenges. Foundational, right? Okay, so he saw God. The second thing we see is that, is that Jehoshaphat waited on God. Okay? So in verse 13, we read this. I, and this, I've noticed this when reading through this passage, this verse for the first time. Here's what it said. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. They just waited. Now, now when it comes to preparing a side dish for our table, potatoes in particular, you know what I choose to do? Okay, now I know... 
This is not the best way to do potatoes. Okay, now when it comes to Thanksgiving time, okay, I do, I do eight to 10 pounds of potatoes, boil them, you know, do all the good mashing with them. But when it comes time to something quick, you know what I want? I want three minutes in the microwave, right? Okay, let me ask you a question. Guess how I want my prayers answered, right? Three minutes in the microwave, Father, give it to me, right? Okay, that's the way I like it, right? Okay, now most often, though, when it comes to trusting God in prayer, we get to wait, don't we? Okay, we get to wait. The answer, <laughs> the answer always doesn't come just like that. In fact, look at what, uh, look at what David said in Psalm 5.3. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my, my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you, and I wait in expectation, right? You ever notice how God doesn't operate on our time schedule? Yeah. Now he, but he does know what we need, okay? And, and God knows me, and he knows that my sense of urgency isn't always his sense of urgency. Now, here's the deal. The army of Edom was 25 miles away from Jerusalem. They were coming. But the king and the people waited. Jesus tells us, ask and you will receive. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Interesting thing about the, uh, the verb tense in ask, seek, and knock. It's a continuous tense, which means keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Jesus tells us this. This is how we need to approach prayer. Just keep after it. Just keep after it. Because God's going to answer when he knows the time is best. So we seek God and we wait expectantly, right? And then the third thing we see is we get to believe God. So they stood there, here's what, here's what we're told. God spoke through one of the prophets in the crowd, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and in Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. So tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give Oh, Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow. Here you go. The Lord will be with you. A message straight from God. Don't be afraid. The word talks about emotional anticipation of harm. Have you ever noticed how your mind can play games with you when a crisis is around you? Okay? It builds things up much bigger than it could ever be. And it makes you think things that will never happen. That's the way the enemy works against us. And we're talking about being crushed by anxiety. And that's what the idea of the term discouraged means. It means being crushed by the circumstances of life. So God says, listen, don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm with you. I'm with you. I brought one of my favorite illustrations with me today. An anchor, okay? I love this anchor. Doesn't it sound solid? Okay? Anchors are firm. They're secure. It's what, it what they're made of. They're heavy. They hold. In fact, this will hold a ship tight where it is against waves and wind pushing against it. The, the design of an anchor 
is to hold firmly and securely. God says, don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? I'm with you. I'm with you. Basically, God's saying, hey, see what I can do. I love this phrase. He says, you will not have to fight this battle. Now, it's kind of an interesting thought because uh, the king and the people had to process this. They know this army, this army is coming again, some 25 miles away, advancing toward them. Uh, God's telling the, the army of, of Judah to march out against them, but they're not going to have to fight. I, I read a book recently about uh, trapeze artists. Kind of interesting. Uh, you look at this picture here. You see uh, two, two guys there. And they say the guy on the right, the, the flyer, they're the people in the trapeze acts who get all the press. They get the accolades. They get the people saying, oh, how much they, they risk, how, how daring they are because they're flying. But the, the book was talking about the importance of the catcher. It said the catcher has one job to do. Guess what that is? To catch, right? To catch. And they said the flyer has one job to do. And it's very simple. It's not about risk. It's not about jumping. No, the, the flyer has one job to do, and that is trust the catcher. Trust that the catcher is going to be there when he needs to be there and that he will catch him. God was letting them know here that he was going to come through for them. You can trust me as your catcher, God's saying. So what did Jehoshaphat do? He trusted God. First of all, hearing what God had to say, he and the people fell down and worshiped God. They, they thanked God for doing what he was going to do. But the trust didn't stop there. The next morning, he sent the army off to battle. And he used a very unique strategy as he sent them into battle. He, they put the singers out in front of the troops. He said, we're going to sing our way into battle. Now, you don't really don't do that. Okay, and I'm sure the singers probably didn't appreciate it all that much. It would have been, they would have been cannon fodder, basically. But, but he said, you're, the singers are going to go out in front. We're going to praise God all the way into the battle. So they did. Jehoshaphat trusted God to come through for them, and he just felt God was going to do what God said he was going to do. And he showed his trust by what he did. A couple of weeks ago, I went with one of our church planners to pray in the neighborhood of North Lawndale. We're, I told you a few weeks ago, we're praying through different neighborhoods just to see what God wants to do, to show us, to show us different people we need to connect with. So, so we're praying along through North Lawndale. And Dwayne, that's my friend there, he said, now when we get, past, get to the, the other side of the L that's up in front of us, he said, now the neighborhood changes, and it doesn't change in a good way. I said, okay, okay. So we got up to the corner, and he said, now, you want to go around the corner here and go back to where we started? I said, no, I want to go on the other side of the L. He said, <laughs> give me one of these. Come on, man. I just told you. I said, no, I get it. I get it. I said, I'm counting on you keeping me out of danger and stuff. But he, I said, listen, I think we're supposed to go on the other side. You know, we're praying for God to show up and show us people. I said, I think we need to go on the other side of the L. So we did, and we had a divine appointment with somebody on the other side of the, the L. We wouldn't have met if we hadn't walked over there. Now, I don't have this all figured out, guys, at all. But I do know that when I put trust into action, 
it makes my faith come alive. And I believe I can trust my catcher. And I believe we can trust our catcher. So the singers marched out in front of the army. As they walked along singing praises to God, God set ambushes against the army coming toward Jerusalem. Basically what happened, the soldiers from the invading army began to fight each other. And they fought each other until the entire army of Edom was dead. And I just imagine this, the army of Judah comes over the ridge, they look down, and instead of the, the, the approaching army they expected, all they see is a bunch of dead soldiers laying there. And God did exactly what he said he was going to do. I'm going to fight the battle. And you don't have to worry about it. I believe God answers the prayers of his people. We need to pray. So my challenge to you is very simple. I, I want to ask you this next week to, be, to put the work in on the front end. Uh, we know challenging times come. They're, they're always going to be coming. But we, as we build into the front end, to, the, to, the, to our foundation, we'll be stronger and ready to face those crises, those challenges that come our way. So I want to ask you to set aside some time to practice prayer this next week. Hey, let's, let's look at 10 minutes. 10 minutes each day just to get to a quiet place and just to talk to God and listen to God. You listen by reading the Bible. But as you talk and listen, I want to encourage you just to write down what you hear and what you're praying about. That way you can write down ways you're seeing God answer prayers. And I'll tell you what, as God answers our prayers, it makes us more ready to pray again, right? Because as we see him working, we want him, but we want more of that. So here's the second part of that. I want to encourage you to use this foundational exercise to help others too. It helps us, but use it to help others too. As you talk to God this week, ask him to bring your your mind to people who need to touch a prayer, then pray for them. Or ask him also to keep your eyes open to opportunities around you to practice this with someone. And then when you see somebody in the week ahead that could use a touch of prayer, use five of the most powerful words in the world. Here it is. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And when they say yes, pray for them. Pray for them. Never can tell the difference that might make. Pray. I know it may be uncomfortable, but it helps grow the spiritual prayer muscle. That's why we need this exercise. See, what we practice develops into muscle memory. Jehoshaphat learned that, and that's why he was ready when the, when the crisis came to put it into practice because he already did it. And as we put this into practice in our lives, we're ready. We're ready for whatever comes our way. So my encouragement is to practice it this week. See what happens. So my, my final thing, I, I had an old Chinese proverb that came up uh, to me the other day when I was thinking through this whole, thing, whole message. And the question is, when is the best time to begin practicing prayer? Well, here's what the Chinese proverb says about planting trees. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time? Now. Now. So what will you do with the opportunity to put this foundational exercise into practice?